0: Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. God, praise God. Praise God, amen, amen. Let's, um, let's have a quick word of prayer. Um, every time I have the opportunity to preach God's Word, there's a little nervousness that kind of goes on in the belly, so pray for me because I got issues, Okay. Heavenly Father, we just uh, come before you, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. Hallelujah, this day that you've uh, invited us into. Now, God, be patient with us as your Holy Spirit rocks our minds, steadies our heart, that we might know you for who you are, Lord. We make so much of the mistake of trying to define you by our terms. Lord, I pray that you would just use, use this time in an amazing way, that you would speak through your word in an amazing way, that everyone who's here on this day, it will be purpose that you brought him here for a specific reason. Be patient once again. We just love you, Lord God, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody doing all right? Good, 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 good. I'm really, really privileged and excited to be here. I'm Pastor Andre, and I'm one of the uh, members on the uh, pastor preaching team. And I got to tell you, 2016 has been absolutely phenomenal because I told God I was going to stop saying no. I told God I was going to start saying yes more often. And, man, he's just been gracious to me, very, very gracious to me. So the year, as it were, were 19, about 97, 1998, and we were a young family. We had just moved from Southern Illinois, and we'd moved here to Arizona. And we moved here because I liked the mountains. My brother was stationed up at davis Mothin in Tucson, and I came up to visit him. And I just fell in love with the desert. I mean, it's crazy. I fell in love with the desert. I didn't realize until this week how significant the desert really is from a spiritual truth. But I really liked the desert, and so loaded up the family. We had 600 bucks to our name, got a U-Haul truck, loaded up the family, and we all came to Arizona. Now, it was interesting. When we, when we got here, I had come earlier, a few months earlier, to secure a house for us. And the house that we bought now, I'll never forget, 99th and Camelback, and the house was under 1,200 square feet. Pretty, pretty tiny little thing. But when I recall back... I saw God so clearly in those times when I didn't have so much stuff. If I had to um, compare where I am now to where I am then, I'm gracefully thankful to be where I am now. But where I was then, I relied on God in an amazing, an amazing way, in an amazing way I relied on him. And so as it were, as the months go, and we know expenses were coming in, it was just crazy because I had never had a house before, and, and like I told you, we were a young family, and bills seem to come from everywhere, don't they, when you buy a house? they seem, No, real talk, huh? I mean, go ahead and buy a house, and you'll see how much debt you get into just by living in the house. Crazy. Crazy. Well, there was one time in particular, we were short. We were very, very short, and we... We didn't know what we were going to do. Once again, my oldest at the time was like three years old. My youngest at the time, who's with us today, Cameron. Cameron was a baby of a few months, and, and Kaya was one years old. And so uh, as a dad, I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, man, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And we prayed. What I realize in this Exodus situation is, is that the people, when they were enslaved, they did not have a right understanding of who God is. And so what God did is God took them and made them free. But in order for us to be free, we have to realize that we need to be where God is. Hallelujah. You see, we get it twisted because we want God with us. We don't want that. I don't want God to be my co-pilot. I don't want God behind me. I don't want God on the side of me. I want to be in his hand, right? John 10, 29. I'll be right there in his hand, right? Jesus said, my sheep know me. I know my sheep. He says, I've got my sheep. He says, collectively, we're in the Father's hand and can't know on what? Snatches out of the Father's hand. It hits me that maybe I should change my thinking. And so to segue back into our story, so we were really, really struggling. And so my wife, Tanya, and I, we started praying. And lo and behold, what we received in the mail was a check. Now, let me, let me tell you how, how crazy this is. Everybody knows what escrow is, right? It was an escrow check saying that we had a surplus in our escrow account. Are you kidding me? Who has a surplus in their escrow account when they have a home? That's like unheard of, right? You guys are laughing because you guys know where we're at on that, right? The amount of the check was exactly what we needed to cover our bills for that month. And what I realized about God is I realized that I don't need to define him by the things that I see or the things that I feel. I need to be defined by him because you know what he does? This, you'll love this word. In, in, the, in the Old Testament, the word for create is bara. It means to take from nothing. It's to take from nothing and then boom, there's something. That's a very important word because it screams of the attribute of who God is. God can take from nothing and then boom, there's something. And it's almost like what God did is he took water from a rock? He did the impossible so that we would know that he is, and that it is possible if we rely and sustain in him. The Israelites—he was bringing the Israelites out of captivity because he wanted to be their portion. Jehovah Rapha—he wanted to provide. For them. You see, when they were enslaved, if you remember the stories in the wilderness as we've been talking, as Pastor Tim talked about the rhythm, whose rhythm are we talking about? We're talking about our rhythm? God joined my beat? Nah. God's got his own rhythm, and we need to get into harmony and step with him. Amen? Amen. So, in thinking of this, I had a focused question. I had something that I wanted to ask myself Does God really provide? I think if we ask the question and if we seek the answer, I think we're going to come to know God in a fresh way. I think we're going to come to know God in a powerful way, and I think, I think in knowing Him and how He provides and how He sustains, I think there's a difference that could be made in this world, amen? During this message, and again, pray for me because I've got a ton of issues. Pray for me as I pray for you. But imagine this as we go through this lesson. Imagine if we seriously take God at his word. To this point, as we've been listening to Pastor Gabe and Pastor Tim, we come to realize a few things. And the first thing that we realize is that, you know, in Christ, in God, we are on a journey. We're on a journey. What God has shown me through Scripture is is that God meets me where I am, but he doesn't leave me there. He takes me to where he wants me to be. And that's profound. You don't want a God that's got your back. You don't want a God that sits to your left, co-pilot. You want a God that not only drives the car, but created the car and makes sure the roads are clear for you to move in. Amen? Water from a rock. The first four verses are absolutely profound. And then I've got a a nice little slide that we're going to break down that will give you some of the history, some of the rhythm of God and what he does with his people, what he does today with us. Starting in chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17. I'll go through verses 1 through 4, and so reads God's holy, complete, life giving, and infallible word. This is the English Standard Version that I'm reading from. And the congregation of the people of Israel moved in the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for them to drink. Verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses, and they they said, they said, why do you bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried out to the Lord. He said, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. We're on a journey. Let's go to the next slide. Wow. As I've been... Studying Exodus, and as we've been journeying together through this book, God showed me a profound journey that he has us on. Do you realize that in the wilderness, and we use that as a generic term, wilderness, that in the wilderness there were valley areas that he would specifically stop them at? And it's funny because what you need to understand is water in the Bible is an absolutely powerful metaphor. Water represents life. And God does some amazing things with water to prove what? That he is the controller of that element. But even greater from a spiritual standpoint is, is he is the living water. He is that which sustains us. Any area without water, death becomes. Real talk. But where there is water, life can what? flourish. Look at this. Absolutely profound. Chapter 14, chapter 14, we know, that, we know that Pharaoh and all of them were chasing him, and they get there to the Red Sea, and he, he touches the water. And what happens? The scripture is crazy because it says the water, what? Splits. And of the splitting of the water, ground comes up, and they cross over on dry land. This is absolutely an amazing feat in the minds of Israel as God is displaying his absolute power, and mighty, mighty authority over the elements. As they traveled further, they traveled to a valley area called Shur, and they were grumbling as they always grumbled. They were, God, like Tim said, ah, God, why aren't you doing this? We're thirsty, we're thirsty, we're thirsty. And there in chapter 15, they come to an area where there should have been water, but the water was bitter, and they grumbled. God came on the scene, and he made the water sweet. You travel more to Eliam, and still, still there was this grumbling. And it was like, God, what are you doing? But they weren't complaining to God. They were complaining to Moses, which is amazing to me because that's very, very profound. Through Christ Jesus, we have direct communication with God. Through Christ Jesus, we can say, Abba, Daddy, Father, hear my prayer. But they were grumbling against Moses. And so they get to the Valley of Elim, and God comes in a profound way. And all oh, by the way, there's springs of water, there's date, palms, all the good stuff. They travel further to the Valley of Seen. And now they're grumbling because they don't have meat. is not good enough. The water that he's given them is not good enough. Can you imagine what that water tasted like? Can you imagine that the water that God brings forth, could you imagine what that water tasted Have you ever had a cool glass of water on a good day? Is there anything that's more refreshing than that? And oh, by the way, as you're indulging your desire to quench your thirst, that very water is what over 70% of your body is made of? It just rocks my mind. It rocks my mind, this idea of water and how God uses it. They find their way to where we are in chapter 17 at Rephidim. And this was an interesting situation because you would have thought, by now, you would have thought, well, wait a minute, they've got to know who God is. They've got to know that he provides. But yet, like children, like babies, as it were, they grumbled and they complained. Now, what's interesting in in some of the things in verses 1 through 4, they talk about, there are three different areas that directly talk about God's provision. Their expectation of God was not met in the fashion that they wanted it to be met, and so they grumbled and they were angry. Have you ever been angry at God? Have you ever honestly, honestly asked yourself, Why are you angry with God? I bet you, you don't have to tell me the details, but I bet you it probably has something to do with him not meeting your expectation. Real talk. But let me ask you the true question. Would you serve and worship a God that met your expectation? That hits me right in the mouth, because I know I wouldn't, right? God is not a genie in a bottle, and he doesn't acquiesce himself to our desires. He acquiesces himself to fulfill, as he promised, our every need. And guess how he does it? Right on time. Wow, it's just profound stuff to me. And so right away we see that their expectation was not met. They said, give us water to drink. As if by some authority of their own, they can elicit to Moses the hand of God. Well, they had already seen what he did with the Red Sea. They had already seen that he gave them water, uh, turned bitter water into sweet water. They had already seen these mighty things, but they forget we did the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is absolutely profound. You know why? Because we're going to forget every time. And so along the way in this journey, as God was unpacking who he is to his people, he was giving them certain things in which they had to do to memorialize him so that they would remember him, so that they would tell the story to generations to come. It's why we do church. The heart of why we have Compass Church is because somebody told the story way back when. They were compelled by the calling of the story. They fulfilled that, and so here we are. The question that I have, and this is a serious question that I ask myself, is what story am I leaving? Because I have two choices, right? I could even leave a story that is going to promote life, and I'm going to identify and tell them about the true rock, and that's I, Jesus Christ, and the water that brings in Christ, or I'm going to give them religion. I'm going to give them what I think. Only one promotes life. Again, I told you right away, didn't I? I have issues. And so we see right away, give us water to drink. Their expectations were not met, and so they started to grumble. Now what's interesting is is they grumble with Moses. One of the things about the wilderness experience is is that the people really didn't know God. That's the long of the short of it. They really didn't know God. Because when you grumble against a God for something as um, life-sustaining as water is, you really think he's small if you don't think he can provide it. And so, as they stop at these points in their journey through the desert, God was showing them through their suffering. Okay, this is a hard concept, but let's go there. There are many people that believe that it takes a negative or it takes, it takes a negative situation in order to um, rejoice in a positive or know or understand a positive situation. I'm not, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. That's more of an Eastern situation mindset, yin and yang kind of a deal. There has to be equal balance. There has to be equal bad in order to know good. I don't believe that at all. But I do believe that God uses suffering. See, what we forget is that we have suffering because we have a sinful or fallen condition. And because we have a sinful or fallen condition, there's going to be pain. But in the wilderness, God was very specific to allow their pain to get to a point where they would cry out. This was probably the best time for them because they cried out. You'll notice, and you guys know the story as we go further in this series. Every time they cried out to God through Moses, it was always based on an experience that they had back as slaves. Well, we're back in slaves. We could eat all the meat we wanted to. We could drink water. We had fruit and all that good stuff. Well, we saw what God did to Pharaoh, didn't we? And so God intentionally would bring them to these points so that he could do what? So that he could teach them through pain, through suffering. He could teach them that I got you. I got you. You don't have the right perspective of me. And so that's okay. I'm going to bring you along, and I'm going to show you myself. Guys, that's the same God that we serve today. It's the same God that's going to bring us along so he can show us something. Because I'll tell you, if we, if we think God is going to limit himself to our definition, we will miss the God every time, and we will lead people in the direction of the lowercase g God that we think is. Oh, man. I stepped on my own toes with that. God's jealous. He's not going to be seconded to anything your religion, and your understanding of him either. That's why we have to stay in his word. Because the moment we think we understand is the moment that we put ourselves in harm's way to get knocked out. That's real talk. Somebody say amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Really? Amen? So they argue with Moses. He said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us, our children, our livestock with thirst? No idea who God was. Moses was nothing but a servant. Miraculous things were done through his hand, but yet they're going to grumble against him when God has already shown his might. Okay, let me say it this way. We all come, we all come to life with guilt. Because we're in a fallen situation, we're guilty. Take a look at Paul's understanding of this in, in Romans 3 sometimes particularly around verse 10, it gets pretty crazy. It talks about how our nature is depraved. We are guilty. And rightfully, God's judgment for sin, as the Scripture tells us, is death. But God did not leave us that way. He didn't leave us as a people who were slaves, building up another people who were polytheistic, serving false gods. He didn't leave us that way. He says, I hear you're grumbling. Moses, go to my people. And Moses' whole contention is, I need commendation, Lord. I don't have a resume that's big enough to go and tell them who sent me. They're not going to believe me. What shall I tell them? What shall I tell them? And he said, what? Tell them I am. He said, tell them I am who sent you. And so that as they're in the wilderness and as they see miraculous things, some two, three months after leaving Egypt, their opportunity was to go to God, but they took their beef to Moses. A third thing that happens in this section of Scripture that's absolutely profound is when Moses goes to God. Now, I've got to tell you, this is for all ministry leaders. This would be everybody in this room, real talk, as believers. Sometimes we can get frustrated. Sometimes we can get frustrated with what we see in the lives of other people can I caution you in that area, myself included? Can I caution you in that area? When you see a deficiency or a weakness in someone else, you see it because you've got the privileged eyes to see it in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, you'd be just as blind as they are. Okay, now it's going to get real, real. When you have a brother and sister in Christ, and you see them struggling with some of the issues, be so careful, be so careful not to judge them because that might be their desert time. That might be their desert time. And if that is the case, if that's the case, we have every opportunity to minister in that desert time. We have every opportunity because we know that because of the desert, what's going to come? Water. And not just any water, living water. Guys, imagine if we took this seriously. And I'm not chiding anybody for not taking it seriously. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is Pastor Gabe talked about this idea in his prayer of not being mundane or being routine. You see, the people were complaining because they didn't have water. They're complaining because they didn't have fruit. They're complaining because they didn't have meat, when really they should be asking God, how did you do that? How did you bring dry ground from the Red Sea? How did you bring water from a tree? How did you take a rock and make it give forth? Those are the real questions we should be asking. Because a God who's already displayed himself that way is going to do what? He's going to answer them. He already displayed it. Can you think of anything else that would bring God more glory than to say, Daddy, how did you do that? I remember when my kids were little. I remember when my kids were little. They, they flat out thought I was Superman. And I got to tell you, man, I wasn't the best dad in understanding the whole pride issue, right? And so, I was happy to be Superman in their eyes. Well, as they've gotten a little bit older and they have their own children, Daddy's no longer Superman. But in Christ, we have a God who's willing to do the amazing. And He's willing to do it every time. So why grumble? when we get to a place in our lives where it feels dry. The next thing that they were dealing with here is this idea of abandonment. It's important to understand that because they had misdefined who God was, then they felt that he was not with them. And so in that pain of being thirsty, of being hungry, there was a tremendous feeling of being alone. But this was a necessary feeling. This was a very necessary feeling because God wanted to establish him to say, listen, because you're feeling alone, don't think that I'm not carrying you because there's a greater revelation. You may feel alone for a season in the desert, but you got two things that are absolutely phenomenal to wrap your minds around. Number one, there's water on the horizon. And number two, God's got you. Can you imagine having a a, a close friend who's struggling, absolutely struggling? And you have no way of helping them, but then you give them the most help by saying, you know what? Have faith. God will provide. Can you imagine the opportunity that we have as believers to tell that story? The question that they asked Moses is, is "Is the Lord among us or not? Wrong question. But that's where they were. Remember, we started off the sermon by telling you God doesn't leave us as we are, right? He approaches us where we are. That's where they were. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that situation? Were you absolutely upset with God because you felt like he wasn't with you? Now take a look back. You realize he was carrying you. Footprints in the sand, right? Something like that. Then within this story, in all of this, in the grumbling in all of this, God tells Moses to go in front of his people with elders and to take the staff which God used as his tool to show himself and display the miraculous. And he touches the rock and water comes forth. I bet you they drank like they never drank before because it was provided by the provider of all providers. Providers. And then in verse 8, this, as the story goes, it almost seems disjointed. You have this, you have this group, uh, you have Amalek and his army. Now, when I was studying this, I couldn't quite understand why it fell into this place, but then it hit me this way. You see, the Amalekites, those after Amalek, they were descendants of Esau. And if you remember, Esau, Esau was a brother of Jacob, but Jacob was given the birthright. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you that what Canaan represents is the land of the promise. There's a very awesome metaphor to be played here. We were in the Garden of Eden, the perfect paradise in which God had established for us. He was going to fellowship with us, but we messed that up, right? But just because we messed that up, it didn't mean that God was going to stop what he was doing. He had a land for us where he could be with us. That was Canaan, the land formed with milk and honey. You see how that works. But what God had to do those 40 years is he had to prepare the hearts and minds of people so that when they got that land, not only could they be good stewards of it, they would always know that it was given to them. Right? Right? They are slaves, right? They are slaves, right? Egypt's slaves, right? They're people with no name. They're people without freedom. They're people with no territory. But God took care of all that. You're my people. I'm going to bring you on a journey. And guess what? I've got a good piece of land for you. How good is the God we serve? So we see in in, uh, the Amalekites that they were not heirs to the promise. They were individuals who were going to come in and usurp the promise somehow. But it's crazy. As the story goes, and don't take my word for it, as you read the rest of that section, midway through 17, as the Amalekites come to threaten what was happening between God and his people, Moses simply says, Joshua, pick some guys and go handle that. Now, that is... An amazing thing to me because you would have thought they would have been more flustered than what they were but nowhere in the text does it indicate that it was a flustering situation okay here's the truth this is really good this is really good in the moment that we realize that we're in the hand of God in the moment that we realize that God is working in our life no matter what the desert place might look like if someone else comes and tries to infringe on what God's doing guess what they will be defeated they will be defeated we need not fret we need not fret. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you've been hit by all sides? You're in a desert. Has has some of the blows that are coming at you, real big ones? Maybe like the Amalekites where you were nervous? It's okay. Because you're about to behold something powerful from God. And so we have to be encouraged. We know it's a sinful world. We know that people are being knocked off left and right. And we see that the level of sin is increasing, increasing, increasing. We see that the level of depravity is increasing, increasing, increasing. But we don't fret because if this indeed is the desert that we're in, we know water is coming. We know it's coming. Oh, man. Oh, man. Amalekites. God ain't worried about that. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be worried about that. You know, at the end of the war, and it's, it's pretty crazy how God did it. They went up on the mountain, Horeb. And so you have Aaron, you have Moses, and you have Her, And the staff, as he raised his hands, every time he raised his hands, they were victorious in that aspect of the battle. But then the scripture says that Moses, Moses got weak. And so they put a rock, and he sat down on the rock, and his arms became droopy. And then one of his he side held up his arms, and they defeated The Amalekites. Profound practical illustration. As we are carrying out God's work, because He's a jealous God, He will allow us to see the difference between our strength and His provision, even to the vessels that He uses for His glory. Truth be told, you really want to see God? Get tired. Get tired. If you really, really want to see God, get tired. Get tired in exhausting yourself and your resource in the ministry that he has for you, and watch what he does. Watch what he does. Not only will he provide you with help, one arm, left arm, a rock to sit on, but he will be victorious through you, amen? Man, this is probably the most profound thing that I've received in a long time, that in Christ we have the victory. In, yes, in Christ we have the victory. If we would just grab onto that. I ain't afraid of no desert. And after it was done, Moses talks to Joshua. And it's interesting because Joshua was the follower of everything that Moses was doing. And he would be the one that would ultimately go into the land of the promise. Because you understand that Moses did not come into the land of the promise. Later in Numbers chapter 20, what happens is, is there's another water situation where Moses was very, very frustrated. And God told him in that situation, uh, Numbers chapter 20, he says, tap the rock twice and water will come forth. He's done it before. This isn't new to him. He's teaching, he's training his people, but he's also teaching Moses. And if you remember, as the story goes, Moses did not only tap the rock twice, but he said, must we bring water from this rock? Something had happened from the time of the Red Sea to Moses' anger to now he's including himself in the number of God. That disqualified him from going into the land of the promise. But that's okay. That's okay. Let me tell you why. Because Joshua was being groomed the whole time. Joshua was being groomed the whole time. Um, might I say it this way? Might I say it this way? As we walk in the privilege of being Christians, as we walk in the privilege of being a vessel used by God, let us never forget that it's not about us. Because the moment we do, our successor is ready to come and do right. That's really profound, especially for a minister. I remember when I was a young minister, I always thought that I had to have every answer. The older I get, I'm realizing the question's even better than the answer. It's okay to leave a sermon just hanging there. It's okay. In this section of Scripture, I only know two things I only know that God provides, and I know that I'm not alone. That's all I get from this Scripture. I don't know the fullness of how He provides, I don't know the fullness of why I feel like He's not there. But that's okay, because He said that He is. So He said, Build an altar. and then inscribe it with a message. And the message says, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Very much like Pharaoh, where he went around and killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians, completely striking his lineage from antiquity. God's judgment on Amalek and his followers, his army, would be the same. God is an awesome man of war. Timeless truth. Timeless truth, guys, and I want this to resonate with you. God meets us where we are, however. He does not leave us as we are. He takes us where we don't want to go, that we end up where we never thought we could be. And so then the question is, why is this so important? Why is this so significant? Why? Let me share this story with you. Last week, I, was, um, I had the privilege of leading a Bible study. There's a, on Wednesdays, um, there's a group called Mosaic, and they do a Bible study at GCU. And the operations segment of GCU, that is, those that work with the students online, those that teach and work online, it can be very, very tenuous at times. It can be very, very difficult because of the modality, because of the pressure and some of the the mandates that are put forth. And so Bible study is very essential to help people remember, right? For some, going to work every day is a desert. And so one of the things we talked about is, is the study is about God, and the section that I get to do with a colleague of mine, Bob Green, for this next month, is to talk about God. They've already talked about Jesus, they've already talked about the Holy Spirit, but I get to talk about God. Who is God and what is he like? And so simply, the slide just reads this, one of the individuals in the Bible study, as we were talking about who God is and what is he like, he goes, is it fair to say then that part of the necessity of Jesus within the Trinity is to be that holy ground that we can take off our shoes and stand in the presence of God. No man can come to the Father but through me. Through through giving, the implication that you must be in something at some point to go through it. And in this case, Christ Jesus. Therefore, if the goal is to be with God as opposed to God being with us, then it is equally fair to say that we should be seeking Christ rather than Christ being in us. It almost seems like we speak as if we are trying to draw God nearer to us. As if we were the center of attention rather than the other way around. If I can ask my younger brother Josh to come up here. We're about to do something that's absolutely amazing. If you guys remember last week, Pastor Tim was talking about this idea of of rhythm. And this is a young man. This is a young man who has said, you know what? My rhythm ain't going to get it done. You see, I'm tired of doing it my way because I realize my way doesn't do anything. And so he hits me up about a month ago, a month and a half ago, and he says, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized because he knows that he's in a desert situation and that God is the one that brings life. Everybody, this is my little brother, Joshua Webb. Josh, let me sit you over here. Have you come to a point in your life that you realize that you were a sinner? Yes. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Upon that realization and faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. let us pray hallelujah Lord God we thank you that you don't leave us as we are I thank you so much for this young one coming forward and making a statement Lord Lord as we bear witness to that Lord let us rejoice in the fact that you are doing exactly what you said you're doing Lord God I lift up our young people as they are bombarded by so much deception Be patient with us, Lord, who are older, that we might guide them and mentor them in a way to know exactly the truth that you are. I just thank you so much for this congregation. I thank you so much for the service. I thank you for the live streamers that are attending. You're just awesome, and you're amazing. We just love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? find out more about our church online, go to www.cobuschurch.info and we'll see you next time.